Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the Philly Experience Podcast. My name is Max Gretzula, joined by two gentlemen that got to be pretty happy with their first-round pick and the Eagles' choice of Devontae Smith. That is WHIP's Tanner Gilmartin and WIP's Tyre Hood. Gentlemen, the floor is yours. Oh, man, excited is an understatement. Um, They got the right receiver that I wanted. Well, no, I wanted Jalen Waddle, to be honest with you. But they got a right receiver nonetheless, not just a right receiver, but a playmaking right receiver, a right receiver that I can rely on Sunday after Sunday, Sunday after Sunday to make plays for me. All right, they got a playmaker that is just an absolute monster with the ball in his hands and is just going to put the absolute fear into defenses week after week. And you know what? I'm excited. And he's paired back up, you know, with his former quarterback, Jalen Hurts. And, you know, so the chemistry is already there. And listen, Devontae Smith, he's already going to come in. He's already coming in and and he's going to be the best right receiver on the team period like he's he's automatically number one so I'm, I'm really excited about you know him coming to the team and what he can contribute to I'm getting some real Deshaun Jackson vibes you know so far you know the tape that I've looked at but um I'm getting some serious serious Deshaun Jackson vibe from him. just a playmaker a guy that you really can't stay in front of and to be honest with you you know what I've never seen usually smaller guys have trouble getting off of press coverage Devontae Smith he has no problem getting off of press coverage. He has no problem, you know, shaking guys at the line of scrimmage and getting open. Like he can get open in a multiple number of ways. And here's the thing. He's not limited to just that fade nine route, that straight go route. He's not limited to just that. He His route tree is absolutely astounding. As a matter of fact, I seen something on Twitter the other day where it showed the, the percentage of routes that he ran at Alabama. And it's absolutely incredible. This kid's not limited to the route that he can run. So I'm definitely excited about the first round pick. Shoot, T touched on everything. Um, <laughs> but 166 pounds, I don't care about that. that that's oh, what okay. I don't care about, bringing that up. And I'm thrilled that the Eagles decided to correct themselves from the past couple of drafts, draft the guy that everyone wants and the guy that you can't pass over a Heisman. I mean, they did have to trade up to get him, but they had the sixth um, in the first place. So they wouldn't really had to, but anyway, I'm glad that the Eagles decided to go ahead and get what their starting starting quarterback wanted. And that was Devontae Smith, former teammate over there. He mentioned the chemistry is already there and the thrill for the Eagles is back. I walk in here uh, to my apartment um, earlier this morning. I heard two guys arguing about the Cowboys and Eagles, and that's exactly what I missed hearing about the competition, the rivalry between these two divisions. And I hope things pick up pace. The love for the birds is is back stronger than ever. I'm hoping and I'm glad that the Eagles got Devontae Smith. Definitely agree. I think one of the things that you guys know is me wanting a cornerback coming into this draft. And I thought we agreed that at least one of those guys would fall, whether it be J.C. Horn or Patrick Sertan. Both of those guys went before the Eagles got uh, on the clock, which was, I believe, Denver Broncos got Patrick Sertan and J.C. Horn ended up going to the Carolina Panthers, which I'm sure surprised not only us, but probably the larger audience who was watching and, you know, gets to pick 10. And the Eagles still did not make a move yet to get to pick 12 or from pick 12 to get to pick 10. And I think one of the things people will not forget about, but maybe gloss over is the fact that the Eagles had to make a trade in order to go up and get Devontae Smith. You know, they didn't stay at 12 
and hope uh, hope Devontae Smith fell to them. They had to go up there and make a trade with the Cowboys of all the teams to be able to go up there and get their guy, which is very surprising. The Cowboys end up with Micah Parsons. So I think the question is, I'm sure now that we have Devontae Smith, it's not a question if we agree with the decision to trade up because I, I think we all are on the same page when it comes to the fact that uh, getting Devontae Smith was a must considering the other three guys that we were thinking about, Jalen Waddle and the two cornerbacks were gone already. So trading that third round pick to the Dallas Cowboys, moving up to pick 10 was the right decision. And, you know, Michael Parsons falling to the Cowboys at pick 12, pretty surprising considering the fact that, uh, I don't know, I, I know they needed a uh, defensive player. I think we knew that. But to not get a cornerback, which we thought the biggest weakness was, uh, I know Sean Lee retired and Van Der Esch just struggles to stay healthy. But Michael Parsons, uh, get your guys' reaction to the Cowboys, a guy the Eagles are going to have to see uh, for years to come. Well, see, here's the thing. Um, well, first and foremost, let's let's talk about the trade real quick. Um, to say that I'm shocked um, is an understatement. Um, of course, we had to do a deal with the devil themselves in the Dallas Cowboys, but uh, I'm definitely excited about that. And I'm also excited about the fact that, you know, Two times in a row now, we've screwed the New York Giants over. I mean, seriously, if you guys go through YouTube and Twitter right now, like the reaction to Giants fans all over just being just completely pissed off and upset with us about the fact that we picked Devontae Smith ahead of them and beat them to him. I mean, it is nothing but satisfactory for me, man. And, and listen, to all the Giants fans out there, look, I'm sorry, but not sorry. All right, I understand. I, understand. I am pissed off i understand that you're you're irritated with us and you know about the way the season ended but listen here's the thing bro here's the thing we we don't care we we don't care i'm here to tell you right now we don't care we don't all right we love the fact that we can taste your tears yes yes anyway back to micah parsons them drafting a linebacker man you know what and i seen something this morning um about the fact that they're not going to pick up Leighton Vander Esch's fifth-year option, which kind of raised my eyebrow a little bit. But Vander Esch has been, you know, going through some injuries and things of that nature. So it 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 kind of makes sense now, and I see now why they picked Micah Parsons, and you know why they're trying to bolster up their linebacker position. Listen, linebacker, the linebacker position on the Cowboys defense is one of the strongest aspects of their team. So of course they're going they're going to want to try to keep that strong. Also considering the fact that you know they do they are paying out a lot of money towards their star players. So they're only going to be able to keep a limited amount of star players. Leighton Vander Esch just might be one of those guys on top of also his injury scare and history. And on top of that with Sean Lee retiring, it's just one of those things where they just might have to restock on certain positions and rely on young guys to step up in order for them to continue um, their success or lack thereof. But it does, it didn't surprise me that they picked Michael Parsons. They got a hell of a player. They did. Uh, kudos to the Cowboys. Can't believe I just said that. Yeah, no, T, I'm not going the route of kudos to the Cowboys or saying sorry to the Giants because personally, I don't care about either of those two teams' fan base. Um, you have the Giants who were basically crying the entire uh, offseason after the Eagles um, lost that, that game to Washington on purpose. And now you have them in the draft complaining and whining too that we took uh, Devontae Smith away. From them, and I'm 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 glad. I, I want I want them to keep crying and whining until we see them 
um, in the regular season and, and show them hopefully what they missed in Devontae Smith. Now, for the Eagles draft, now I wasn't I wasn't too satisfied with the with pick three through seven for rounds three through seven for the Eagles team. Now I know you went over these players, but for me, now I would have wanted a if I'm you know as an Eagles fan, I wanted a cornerback to be taken in that second round team. Now you 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 calmed me down a little bit. Now I talked to you about it in, in the uh, in the group chat. You said. Now, um, it was Dickerson, um, second round center. You understand that you you are eventually going to need that depth at center because you have Jason Kelsey, who contemplates retiring every every offseason. But for me, I just thought maybe a cornerback was more important at this time. I don't know if um, if you or Max can talk on that. You know what? Real quick, Max, um, I can talk on you about that because, yeah, I kind of did calm you down. And listen, I'm, I'm still going through the film. But what I've seen in Landon Dickerson, man, you want to talk about a lineman that I personally like? Oh, my God. Everybody knows that, you know, I like my lineman to finish plays. What I mean by that, I like my lineman to put people's asses on the ground. All right. And that's exactly what Landon, Dick Landon Dickerson does. All right. That guy just just doesn't give a damn about the opposing defender. He will put somebody on the ground every play. And I love that about him. However, to only play, what, 35, 37 games in your entire collegiate career and coming off of two ACLs, two ACL injuries, and on top of that, an ankle injury? I'm a little nervous about that, fellas. I'm not even going front. Listen, I told you guys before, my personal draft philosophy is my first-round draft pick should be my all-pro for the next 10 years, um, perennial Pro Bowl player. My second and third-round draft picks need to be my solid starters. They, I need especially considering the roster makeup now that we have, like I really needed that second and third round pick to really just come in and contribute. Listen, Landon Dickerson is a future pick. If future picks didn't exactly work out for us, especially when we picked Sidney Jones all those years ago, I'm just saying, picking somebody with injury issues, especially, you know, you're picking a, a lineman up that has leg issues and things of that nature. Eh, I'm a little iffy on that. And he's not exactly going to contribute immediately. However, I see the reason why they did it. I mean, he's a hell of a prospect, as I've stated before, but I, I don't I don't understand that one. And for me, the third round draft pick, the, the defensive tackle, uh, man, it, that one, that one confused me a lot. All right. Milton Williams confused me because once again, we need we have a lot of positions of need. And I just felt as though. You pick a guy who's really going to be like your fourth defensive lineman in your rotation. You got Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave, Fasan Ridgeway, and you're going to have, you know, Milton Williams, who's really just going to be the fourth defensive tackle in the rotation. Like, I'm not necessarily spending a third-round draft pick, top 100 pick, on a, 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 a rotational defensive guy. That's just me personally. Yeah, see, look, from one Alabama player to the other, and, and going back to the early 2000s, we saw that the Eagles have not drafted an Alabama player. So for, for my standpoint, obviously being very surprised about that because they're the best college football program in the nation uh, year in and year out. So for, for me, going from Devontae Smith and then drafting Landon Dickerson, two Alabama players back-to-back, -back, it has to be very surprising on that note because of the fact that not only – does Lane Dickerson have the injury history of both ACLs and the ankle injuries? But at the same time, you know, that's probably a position that we need, but not immediately. And like Tanner mentioned, the cornerback position. 
Hey, hey guys, we got a caller up. Go ahead, man. Hey, this is uh, Louis Best. Uh, just calling in to uh, say how great your draft show was. Thank you for those picks early. Appreciate um, that. Yeah, um, it was an awesome show. Um, I was just wondering if I can get on the discussion today. Hell yeah, let's um, go. Awesome. So what, I, I heard talk about Landon Dickerson and Devontae Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, just catch me up to where you guys are real quick. So um, we were just actually discussing that. Of course, we all love the Devontae Smith pick. And I was just saying about Landon Dickerson that, you know, I'm a little concerned with him having two ACL injuries and an ankle injury and only playing about 35 or 37 collegiate games in his collegiate career. So I'm a little concerned about that. But the dude finishes, man. He's a hell of a lineman. I love him. And we were just getting into Milton Williams in which I was saying that, you know, I'm not, I personally wouldn't spend a top 100 pick on a rotational defensive lineman who's really going to be my fourth defensive lineman rotating in. That's just me personally. Gotcha. So to start with the Landon Dickerson one, I, I like the pick because he's got a great just resume at Alabama. But with the Eagles' history with injuries and their medical staff, I I have a feeling this is going to end up being like Sidney Jones again. I I'm just very nervous about this. I would have rather seen them go with someone like Nasante Samuel or uh, JOK in the second round. But if this pans out, it's a home run out of the park. Probably going to be on the level of Jason Kelsey, if not even higher. But, man, that injury history. Yeah, I don't know. I don't trust the Eagles with injuries. Yeah. I yeah, Lou, Lou this is, listen, this is Max, and I got to ask you about the Alabama products. I mean, listen, the Eagles haven't drafted an Alabama player since the early 2000s. They come out and they take Devontae Smith, and then their second pick is Landon Dickerson. I thought, like, I agree with you. I thought Asante Samuel Jr. would have been a good pick. I also thought Christian Barmore would have been a good pick also out of Alabama as a defensive tackle. So those are probably the two guys that I was eyeing up. And then as you look further in the draft, as he was saying, Milton Williams, he's got all the attributes as far as the size and the speed. Uh, skill set as at that size uh, being a defensive tackle but again he's not too polished he only had four sacks in 10 games last season and then I, I don't, I don't want to go too far into it because at the end of the day you look at guys that we take later on in the drafts they'll make the team or they won't but you got to look at the first couple rounds and the impact players that you know when you look at the draft as a whole we might only have one day one starter which is what concerns me the most uh, I think Landon Dickerson could be a day one starter. I don't think Isaac Samalu is like the cream of the crop, and I think he could replace him at guard. And then eventually, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. I agree with you on that one, real like quick. I agree with you. I think one of the things is he tore his ACL in December, so I don't know on day one if he's going to be ready. But again, I could definitely see him step in middle of the season once he's healthy and possibly take over the guard spot. I really think he could. And with the injury history, like I, I don't trust his team at all. And I'm happy to like try to rebuild the offensive line, but I don't think drafting guys with injury histories is the way to do it. Um, but let you've, me, got great, you've got great. Let me ask you the question about the tackle position because I, I think I'm on an island on this show sometimes when it comes to the Andre Dillard uh, talk. Because listen, for me, I think Andre Dillard's a guy you got to give him a shot. I know a lot of people have already given up on him because he hasn't played a lot of games in the Eagle uniform, and that's you know rightfully so. But when you look at the tackle positions, Lane Johnson should be healthy next year coming off of that ankle. Uh, issue that he battled through last season and you look at Jordan Mailata who stepped in last year and had a pretty solid season uh, at the left tackle position but then you also have you know Jack Driscoll and then also Andre Dillard as well so 
do you think the Eagles have enough depth there to uh, be able to protect Jalen Hurts at all costs? Uh, personally, I would have tried to trade Andre Dillard, um, try to get some value out of him. Is I, I don't think he is going to be the heir to Jason Peters that we want. Um, and I think Jordan Mailata is good enough to where we can get by, especially because Jalen Hurts is a more mobile quarterback than Wentz was last year. Wentz, Wentz was just fat last year. He couldn't run for shit. I, sorry, I don't know if I can curse on myself. Oh, but, no. That's a podcast, me. dude. You're good. <laughs> by all means. Okay. Yeah, uh, Wentz could run for shit last year. He was fat. Um, but I, I think we could get through a year with Jordan Mavlata and then even like the, the both the tackles we got from Auburn last year. They're both pretty good. I think, um, and they have a lot of potential. So I, I would honestly look to move Diller to try to get some more draft capital just so we could – or I would have preferred to do it before the draft just so we could try to use some of that to go up and get, like, a Patrick Sertan or somebody even, like, better than Devontae Smith. Because, like, I'm also, like, not the hugest, hugest fan of Devontae Smith. That's kind of a hot take. Um, But – you know, I would have rather seen like the Tanner Horn um, in the first round. Hey, but, Matt, hey Max, you finally yeah. got somebody on your side in terms of drafting a corner first. <laughs> hey, man, I don't think we were the yeah. only two, but but go ahead, Tanner. No, Louie, you're not alone with that uh, Devontae Smith take, uh, by the way. Uh, now, I, I'm a guy who, when you see a player getting so much hype, you kind of got to step back and see maybe, you know, maybe he's going to be a little overrated going into the NFL. But you can't pass up the opportunity to get a Heisman Trophy winner. Um, whether he works out or not, you you, you gave him the chance. Um, you plugged him into an offense that needs a weapon, an offense, a wide receiver um, specifically. But I, I just want to ask you before you head out, what position now after the draft are you most confident in? That I'm most confident in? Yeah, the, the position where you – Set that aside. You don't need to worry about that, and you look at other positions. Well, when I look at positions, so line injury history, not not that confident in it right now. Um, they look like crap even when they were healthy at the beginning of the year. Um, it's kind of healthy under Dover's out. And then wide receiver, it's going to come down to if these coaches can develop the talent because under Doug, they could not develop draft talent no matter what, even if they were late-round picks. All of the guys they brought in free agents that were developed by other coaching staff did better than the players that were developed by us. And I see that as a big problem. So hopefully that this coaching staff can do a better job developing receivers. Because if we can get Smith, Rager on another level with this coaching staff, then it's probably our best position now. I still think it's D-line. I mean, Fletcher Cox is a beast and Brandon Graham is a beast. Our grades would be like it's hard to do it when you have three Pro Bowl caliber players on your D line, and then linebacker. That that position is kind of a joke right now. Still, you just don't draft linebackers or do anything with linebackers. Jokes understand. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I listen. I well, you definitely got good points about the linebacker position. I think Eric Wilson sign uh, the Eric Wilson signing might have been uh, one of the one of the most uh, you know eye opening signings the Eagles have made because they usually don't invest uh, not only draft picks, but also signing guys uh, through uh, the linebacker position. Now, obviously, Jonathan Gannon has a relationship with Eric Wilson there coming over. Obviously, I think he was with Minnesota 
uh, way back when down the road somewhere they met. And, uh, you know, he's going to come in here along with possibly Jacoby Stevens. I know a lot of people think he's like a hybrid player, safety slash linebacker. So uh, so we'll see if he's able to step in and be a contributor. Uh, I mean, not maybe not day one, but eventually down the line. All right, man. Hey, listen. I appreciate you calling in uh, first time. I mean, listen. I tell you what. I love what you uh, what you bring to uh, not only the uh, the podcast when we when we had our Instagram live, but also the passion you bring onto this show right now. So we just had a great discussion. And uh, listen, call back anytime, man. Every Tuesday at noon. Yep. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Louis Betts there calling in. And listen, guys. I think he makes a lot of good points. I think the linebacker position, and either later on the draft, because I don't want to harp on it too much with the late round picks. They're guys that. Uh, you know, team mentioned, I know you, you touched on Patrick Johnson as well. Uh, and, and I know that he's probably going to play the outside linebacker position, but I want you to real quick explain to the audience the difference between possibly going from a four, three to a three, four. Okay. So, so me and Max were talking about this, um, a bit, um, before the show even started and we have a theory and that theory is that this team could possibly go from a four, three to a three, four. Um, and here's the thing. And just by just based off of some of the draft picks, it's my theory that they're going to go from a four, three to a three, four. I'm looking at the draft picks like Marlon Teopalutu, and I'm looking at um, I'm looking at Patrick Johnson. All right. Patrick Johnson is a three, four outside linebacker. What do I mean by that? And why does that even matter? Well, a three, four outside linebacker is a whole lot different than a four, three edge linebacker. All right. So, the difference between the two is that so to put it in simpler terms, a four, three defensive linemen have one gap responsibility. And in the three, four, those defensive linemen really are just taking up blockers. And when they take up the blockers, it frees up the linebackers. But the thing is they, those linebackers have to be good. I mean, they have to be super good. Hey y'all, we got another caller. What's up? How you doing? Uh, this is Sue from Lansdale. What's up, Sue? There he is. How you guys doing? Good, Soup. How doing are you? Great, Soup. Doing all right. What do you guys, uh, what do you guys think about Devontae Smith and uh, Landon Dickerson? Well, we actually just got done discussing those two guys, and we, we were on the show talking about how Devontae Smith, I personally wanted the cornerback. The two that I wanted weren't there, so I had to be, uh, I had to be happy as hell that we were able to grab Devontae Smith and even trade up for him, but. The, the key is the Landon Dickerson pick, and that's what all the fans are kind of reacting to, uh, not only Friday uh, Friday morning throughout the day and also now today being being have, uh, having a weekend, I guess you can say, to uh, sleep on all seven, eight, whatever, however many picks we had, and just uh, look at that second-round pick, and, and that's the key. Uh, the upside's there. If he was healthy, he'd be probably a mid-first-round pick, the best center in the draft. But uh, the, the two ACL tears, the ankle problems, tearing the ACL not only, uh, you know, the first time a while back, but just recently in December, it's cause for concern for me, definitely. Absolutely. I mean, I was just checking. I'm So to speak on Devontae Smith uh, pick, I was very happy with that pick. I was especially looking at the uh, NFL prospects, uh, you know, dra- uh, before the draft. And Devontae Smith was rated third after Kyle Pitts and Trevor Lawrence. So, I, I mean, I, I mean, listen, the numbers speak for itself. How he performed in college. I mean, we all we all saw what he did in the championship game, two hundred fifteen receiving yards. That's tremendous. Um, so obviously I'm super, super happy about that pick. Now I will admit I did want JC Horn. I did tell Tanner before 
I wanted J.C. Horn over Patrick Sertan because I feel like he has just a lot more potential right out of the gate. And obviously I wasn't the only one that saw it because Carolina noticed that too. So obviously that's why they went for him. Um, I'm pretty sure that was at seven, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, but Landon Dickerson, I was happy about the pick, but I honestly wanted Asante Sanders Jr. And I feel like we need more help. We have three first-round picks next year. And I don't, I don't anticipate on us being that good this year. I said we go, since they added another game, I say maybe nine and eight or, or ten and seven. You know, uh, but I that Asante Samuels Jr. I feel like he he has a lot of potential, man. I, we all we all know how good his father was, so um, he comes from a good lineage. He has a, he has a lot of potential, and uh, yeah, listen, listen too, he has suffered he has the, the skill set, right? I mean, the one knock on him, the reason he wasn't a first round pick is because of his size, only being five ten, not the biggest cornerback. Yeah. Uh, but he's got all the intangibles there, which is probably the issue. Offensive line isn't one of our most pressing needs right now because we know Jason Kelsey still has another year under his belt to play this season. And we know that we don't want Avante Maddox. At least I don't. I've been you know, banging the table for him to get the hell out of Philly for the past uh, <laughs> like 12 episodes on this show. So uh, that that's the number one concern for me right now. Not only did we draft an offensive lineman who, who was hopefully going to come in and replace Kelsey, but somebody with risk and injury. And that's the opposite of what the Eagles need right now. And we still haven't right. solved that second quarterback spot. And I think also another question that comes into play is, you know, that, that still hasn't been solved yet, is how exactly are are we going to play our corners? You know what I mean? Like Darius Slay mm-hmm. can Darius Slay can play in a in a press man scheme. All right. He can also play in his own scheme as well. But the the question mark is who's going to be that number two corner? We still haven't gotten that part figured out. And on top of that, due to the fact that they really didn't draft, no, they drafted a cornerback in the fourth round, um, Zach McPherson. He's more or less a zone guy, and you know he's he's another smaller guy at five ten. I mean, you had the opportunity to, to draft somebody, you know, and go in day one with your solid number two corner. Now you're going to rely on a fourth round draft pick to be your number two corner, or we're going to have to go back to the Avante. Maddox uh, experiment, which we all know how that's going to work out. So I'm I'm just confused by that. I agree. And right, for me, I one noticed. Quick, Tanner, I want to throw it to you in one second, but I want to mention Zach McPherson. He or Zach McPherson, he's a ball hawk. I think that's one of the things that uh, Coach Sirianni mentioned. He wants guys to be able to turn the football over and get the offense back on the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I mean, uh, real quick, is- Suf, and then I'm going to ask you a question. Um, for me. Round one was locked up. You either get a talented wide receiver or a talented cornerback uh, for the Eagles. But round two is really what I wanted to pay attention to. I wanted, as Sue mm-hmm. mentioned, he he did want he wanted Asante Samuel Jr. And I think that would have been the best choice to make because there you go. You're drafting a center. We already mentioned injuries and all that. And Kelsey, he's not retiring. He, he's playing this season. Right. So you're going to have Kelsey, that, that starting center, for this season, at least. And Suf, again, he mentioned the thir- the three draft picks that the Eagles are going to have in next year's draft. For me, I wanted the Eagles to go out and get that cornerback, Sante Samuel Jr. He's ball tracker. He play on the outside. Now, Darius Slay, he's played on one-on-one with some of the best wide receivers, and he's been burnt uh, this season. The-, the Eagles had troubles back there uh, where Darius Slay is. And now, Suf, real quick, before you're out of here, I'm going to ask you the same question. Question I asked the last caller, what position are you most confident in on this team right now? That's a difficult question, honestly. I mean, I still – I would have to say – I'd honestly have to go with the receiver. 
Because, really? uh, actually, you know what? No, I still have to stick with the D line. Our defensive line has always been our strong suit, honestly. I mean, it doesn't, as long as we stay healthy, uh, I mean, because Lee Jackson, he's struggled with injury on and off a little bit. Obviously, Fletcher Cox has his, uh, Fletcher Cox is pretty consistent, I'd say. Um, I'd say, yeah, definitely defensive line. The only thing that, only thing that really just concerns me is how good Jalen Rager will be this season. Because I did notice something that uh, he only, I think he got like 15 or so design plays from. It was some small amount of design plays last season for our first round pick. Um, out of you know, out of you know, two hundred something plays. So I mean, you gotta you gotta get Jalen Rager the ball a little bit more, just so we, just so we see we can uh, we can get out of him, and then that will literally, you know, be able to you know solidify whether we have a strong receiver core or not. Because I'm not even too confident in Travis Fulgham either. Because as soon as they put Alshon Jeffrey back on back uh, in 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 rotation over him, uh, we saw a decline. In his uh, progression in his performance, so I, I, I'm not too conf- I'm not too confident in Travis Fulgham. I'm still a little iffy about Jalen Rieger, but I haven't seen enough of him. But Devonte Smith, I mean, the man could get he could get open like it's nobody's business. So, um, but right now, I'll just have to go with the D line. Even linebackers, where we're, I still think you should we should at least went Jeremiah Wuza Cormo uh, out of uh, Notre Dame, or we should have went uh, Asante Samuel Jr. In, in the second round. We messed up. I personally believe we kind of messed up in the second round, especially going after a guy that's tremendously injury-prone, uh, injury um, despite not letting up a sack since 2019 or so. But still, I mean, listen, it's, it's, I'd rather have a guy on the field making plays than somebody who's just going to be uh, hurt on the bench. Uh, so that's my take. I agree with Suf. I do. Definitely I agree, agree Suf. All right, Suf. Well, listen, hey, I appreciate you calling in. As always, Every Tuesday at noon, we love Absolutely. to hear your opinion and get the discussion involved in it. All right. Thank you for having me on. Uh, me on. Hey, Suf. All right, Tanner. Listen, I want to throw to you real quick because he was making good points again. Another another caller making good points, and and we want to keep Har- uh, we want to keep Harper on the Landon Dickerson pick because of the fact that there's just more needs. Not only that, but other talented players that are available in the second round, other than Landon Dickerson and those ACL tears. So. When you when you think about Asante Samuel Jr. and and again we're texting back and forth in the chat uh, going into that second round saying Asante Samuel Jr. is still there Asante Samuel Jr. let's go grab him the Chargers end up getting him and uh, that's a, that's another story for another day the Chargers are putting together a really a really impressive team yeah, they are all right well listen I, I think I think one thing I want to mention real quick before we transition here is T finishing up the Patrick or Patrick Johnson or Patrick. Patrick Johnson. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I got it right you're the good. first time. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, yeah. yeah, Patrick Johnson. Uh, Patrick Johnson. Yeah, listen, I, I think when I was watching it on the show, now listen, I, I'd take what Mel Kuyper Jr. says with a grain of salt because, again, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's a, it's a guessing game. But he actually had Patrick Johnson valued in the fifth round, and the Eagles were able to get him in the seventh round out of two lengths. So I want you to, because we had those two callers, and finish up the point about the 3-4 and the 4-3 scheme before we move on here. All right, so just a little bit more details. Um, a 4-3 scheme, you have four down linemen, and you have three linebackers that's typically off the line of scrimmage. They can also play on the line of scrimmage as well. Um, in the 4-3 scheme, the defensive linemen typically are responsible for one gap. They're not necessarily used to take up blockers, but they're, their main objective is to shoot the gap and to hit whoever the ball carrier is, whoever has the ball, whether it be the quarterback or the running back. 
that's the basis of a four or three. It's more of a simplistic uh, scheme. It's it's more of a simple scheme, typically if it's run correctly. Now, three four scheme um, is a little bit more complicated. However, if run correctly, it can be effective. Now, three four schemes they can be one gappers, but for the most part, I've also seen um, a lot of two gap three four schemes as well. And what I mean by that is, so a three four scheme typically. Your linemen, you have three down linemen and four linebackers, and your three down linemen are typically responsible instead of shooting the gap. If you're in a two gap scheme, they're responsible for taking up blockers, and that frees up the linebackers to make plays. Now, the reason why we're getting into this is because I've suspected, just based off of the Marlon uh, Tulaputu uh, draft pick and the Patrick Johnson pick, it is, I'm assuming, and I'm, this is just a wild guess. But I'm going to take a wild guess and say that the Philadelphia Eagles, even though they haven't made an official announcement yet, that they're transitioning from a 4-3 to a 3-4 just based off of these draft picks. All right. The defensive tackle, um, Marlon, he is a nose tackle. He's a traditional nose tackle. Um, he's a he's a road grader. He's not necessarily known for his pass blocking skills um, coming out of Stanford. That's not that was never his game. He's always been a guy that's going to take up blockers. All right. And then you have Teron Jackson. Teron Jackson is a tweener at 280 pounds. That's typically the average size of a 3-4 defensive end. And then Patrick Johnson is a natural made 3-4 outside linebacker who can drop back into coverage. Those draft picks alone, just it just it tells me that they're trying to transition to a 3-4. My concern is the linebacking position. All right, we we still don't have, in my opinion, enough linebackers to where I can be confident enough in in a switchover like that. Like it was bad enough we used to get beat up in a four three front. All right, we're really going to be exposed in a three four. I mean, so I I really hope Jonathan Gannon can bring these guys together, and I really hope that he knows what he's doing. In terms of this transition, if they are transitioning, if not, it's going to be a, a really rough transition. Yeah, listen, yeah, see, I, I agree with you. Oh, it, go ahead, yeah, it's hard to be confident in this linebacker core, and uh, I know that was another position that we wanted to uh, to see um, solved in this draft. But you have, we mentioned Patrick Johnson drafted, and then the the acquisition of Eric Wilson and uh, as a free agent a couple months ago, you still don't know what you have in him yet. You haven't seen him play on the Eagles in the scheme and all that. And then for the Eagles, once again, to not draft a cornerback until what was that fourth, fourth round? Yep. Um, Zach McPherson, not really sure how, how he's going to be able to perform. You can say he, you know, he, he attacks the ball and all that, but uh, for a fourth rounder to step up, really take over and, and be able to play that, that um, outside cornerback position over um, Avante Maddox. That's really what we have to figure out if the Eagles have a better player than Avante Maddox at this point. And that's exactly um, what they needed. Now, I think maybe they, you know, maybe they have something in their back pocket, um, a trade, maybe eventually you have Zach Ertz still on the team, maybe somehow acquire a talented player on defense through that trade. It, it, it might be unlikely, but it's still a scenario to look at. No, definitely. That, that's kind of where I was going with it too, because Louie mentioned uh, one of the callers that the Eagles could have traded Andre Dillon on draft night, maybe get some more ca- draft capital. And now the fact that that's, uh, you know, past this at this point, 
maybe we can still package or maybe Zach Ertz is still on the table to package together. Uh, maybe a future pick uh, or two to be able to get a legitimate starting cornerback. That would, that would be, uh, yeah. that would be very helpful. And also now real quick before okay. we, we um, transfer over or before, I guess we throw it to T mm. um, now, Howie Roseman on Zach Ertz the day after the draft, he was talking in, in an interview and he said that Zach Ertz still has one year left on his contract. He's still, he's, he believes he's in his prime. So that makes me think maybe Howie Roseman is going to hang on to Zach Ertz until maybe the trade deadline and they get something done with that. Um, really to show teams that Zach Ertz still can play um, considering that, um, that bad season he had um, last season and maybe to, to drive the price up a little more. Now, now here's my thing. And um, one person did say that the right receiver position was a little iffy. Um, I will say this. You typically, I don't pay attention to undrafted free agents too much. I don't. They're like, they're not to disrespect, you know, the work that they put in, but it's very rare that an undrafted free agent makes the team. However, there is one right receiver that we picked up um, from Florida. His name is Trevon Grimes. All right. The tape that's been, that I've been seeing, it's kind of making me raise my eyebrow a little bit. Now, here's the thing. We talked about how Jalen Reger could possibly be a guy that can, you know, come in and possibly if fulfill that first-round draft pick that we've invested in him with. However, Trevon Grimes is going to give this guy a, um, a push, all right? Trevon Grimes is actually a nice prospect, and the catches that he makes – uh, he reminds me of the run that he reminds me of Travis Fulgham in the run that he went on this past season. Like the guy, the guy can go up there and make some plays and especially considering that how weak of a position that the wide receiver position is in. It, it's just a little curious to me. So that's a guy to look out on. And I, I just might have to make a video on Is that. he a slot guy? T? He's an outside. He's an outside wide receiver, man. Okay. He's an outside wide right. receiver. He's a guy I really might have to consider making a video on. Seriously. Well, listen, listen, get on the Jalen Rager hype train right now because this guy is due for a breakout season. I'm counting on it right now for him to come through and have a strong year. Jalen Hurts as well. And uh, we'll see. You know, typical Eagles, right? Trying to change up their scheme to a 3-4. And, of course, look, they don't have the players that they need to run the scheme. Uh, it's typical Eagles football. So, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Listen, this is, what, four or five days now from the draft. Of course, we're going to be able to react to it all the way up, leading through training camp and, and uh, you know, through the summer. So, don't worry. Uh, we're going to be – and, see, I know you're still going to have some film to look at, too, as well, for next week's episode. So, of course, we're still going to be touching on the names that the Eagles picked and maybe even take a look around the league as well so guys i want to transition here we got to mention the philadelphia 76ers because i know they're not number one in the philadelphia sports world right now because the eagles draft just happened but this is a team that is going back and forth with the brooklyn nets for the number one seed people again overreact listen i'm watching tnt last week i'm listening to sir charles i'm listening to Shaq and and Kenny the Jet, and they're all saying all oh, the Bucks. You know, this is back when the Bucks had that spurt of and beat the Sixers back to back games, and they're saying, "Oh, watch out for the Bucks." You know, they they could come up, they could they can leapfrog the Nets with James Harden's injury and win the East. And I I just don't understand why people want to react to one or two games. You got to remember Ben Simmons, he's out at that whole portion of those games, right? The Suns, the Warriors, and those Bucks, the two Bucks games. You're missing Joel Embiid for the second Bucks game, and then people all of a sudden they see the L. Uh, you know, they go on the ESPN app, you see the L and the L column for the Sixers, and they think, oh, wow, the Sixers are falling apart. You know, they're they're going to fall down to the number three seat. But again, once the two guys get back, 
this two the two all stars back in the lineup, and look at us now, a game up in the East, just like that. You have the Nets losing the other day to the Milwaukee Bucks. They actually have to play again uh, tonight. And I think for me personally, if I have to big picture it right now, I like the Sixers' chances to come out of the East as the number one seed because of that week's schedule that they're playing. I know Tanner last week was mentioned in a ridiculous travel schedule playing the Spurs and then flying to Chicago, now having to go back tomorrow night to play the Houston Rockets. Uh, back in Texas, which I I don't know what this whoever scheduled that should be fired immediately, but uh, that's besides the point. I, I hear you. When you look at Joel Embiid and and maybe the fact that his MVP race is over now, he can just focus on winning is a positive thing because of the fact that he's missed too many games. We know that the Nuggets actually just got beat by the Los Angeles Lakers last night. So uh, even if those people out there, those those select few that are holding out hope for Joel Embiid, we all know at the end of the day the wins are the more important thing. So. With Ben Simmons dropping five points the other night and coming back last night against the Bulls and scoring 15 points, of course, we know the engine runs through him. We know Embiid's going to put up his all-star numbers and Tobias Harris is going to put up his all-star numbers. But one name I have to mention here real quick who's been super productive on the let's, – let's remind everybody, the veteran minimum contract is Dwight Howard. I mean, this guy is top 10, top 15 in the league in rebounds. I just want to get your guys' reaction to him. Not only just what he's done all regular season long, but maybe even his veteran presence as far as uh, what he can contribute to when the playoffs start uh, backing up uh, Joel Embiid. Because this guy, he feels like he comes in every night, plays 14, 15 minutes. He'll get you 10, 11 rebounds just like that. I mean, the other night, I literally saw him get four offensive rebounds, keep tipping the ball back up just because he's such a freak of nature and huge that no one can box him out. I ain't even going front. In the beginning of the season, um, I, I, I was literally – Saying to myself, um, Dwight Howard, What's he here for? Like, that was literally my reaction to Dwight <laughs> Howard. Like, I, seriously. Like, because he wasn't really contributing to anything. But now you can see he's he's gone back into, you know, the he's gone into the fountain of youth. He's found that Dwight Howard that, you know, that was that we seen on the Orlando Magic and that we seen play for the Los Angeles Lakers. Like, he's gone in and he's tapped into that Dwight Howard. And it's definitely appreciated. I will say this. Um, that last night, last night's game against the Spurs, it, to me... It felt like it, it had playoff vibes, if you guys catch my drift. It felt like a playoff game. And while, yes, it was the smart choice to go to, uh, I would obviously go to Joel Embiid in the clutch, but I just feel like just look at the way they're playing Ben Simmons. And I'm sorry, but I, I know I beat up on him, and I'm not I'm not degrading him by any means, Tanner. I'm not. But at the end of the day, one, five points ain't going to get it done. All right. And two, please. Oh, my goodness. He, his lack of shooting is going to kill the Sixers into the, in the playoffs. I, I, I can see it now. It's going to be a repeat of literally the last two, three years in the playoffs. Yeah. Well, Tate, listen, if Ben Simmons isn't on this team, this team isn't getting as far as they are uh, right now. But. Uh, back to Dwight Howard. I mean, Daryl Morey got Dwight Howard, Seth Curry, Danny Green, George Hill in the span of six months. Uh, really bolstering up that team. It's so impressive. And for Dwight Howard, I think that move might be the best off offseason pickup um, that we've that we've seen. And I'll tell you why. Now it's not just because um, Dwight Howard is on the Sixers, but it's the production that he immediately brings. The contract. Uh, you bring up the the money and, and the the lack thereof that the Sixers are going to have to give up to Dwight Howard, and now albeit the first couple the first couple months he was in, he, uh, he'd step on the court, 
get a foul, or sit him down for uh, for a span of minutes, and then bring him back in. But he is playing an insane um, performance right now. Um, the way he's just been able to turn back the clock um, and play is just so impressive to see. And I hope that the Sixers um, keep Dwight Howard as long as they can because having Joel Embiid as your starting center and then Dwight Howard backing him up, that that's a good situation to be in. Yeah, you got to shout out Seth Curry, too. Where the hell is this resurgence from Seth Curry come from? This guy's starting to right. drop 20 points again. I mean, he, listen, he had the COVID scare earlier on in the year. Uh, he really didn't look right because he started off with the Sixers pretty hot. And then once he came back from having COVID, he just did not look like the same player. It literally took him a pretty long time to get his feet back under him, a longer than I think we all expected to. But this is a guy Tanner's been high on from the jump. And, uh, you know, he's coming alive at the right time for this team down the stretch, not only shooting the basketball, but as a scorer uh, as a whole. I mean, I know a lot of it comes from beyond the arc with his production, but being able to score uh, 20 points per game up around that mark for the past few games now, this is a guy that we're going to be really counted on to to contribute if Ben Simmons especially is only going to give you, you know, five to five to seven points a night. You're going to have to rely on Simmons to continue to find the open guy, which again, Tanner mentions it perfectly. The Sixers are not in this position without Ben Simmons uh, being able to find Danny Green and Seth Curry. I mean, the, the amount of open looks that Seth Curry and Danny Green get because of Ben Simmons' penetration to be able to kick out is really remarkable in my opinion. It is, man. It is. And, it, and man, Seth Curry has definitely came on. Danny Green, one, a guy that we've all complained about. All right, in the beginning of the season. Now he's starting to contribute, you know, as we expect him to. Like it, this Sixers team is a well dog machine when everyone is healthy and when everything is clicking. So are they going to make noise in the playoffs? Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. It's Yeah, and, and back to Seth Curry and, and Danny Green now. I know I'm not going to take anything back and, and anything that we said about Danny Green because he was struggling. It was hurting the team, and that's that's just a fact. But Danny, or um, yeah, Danny Green and Seth Curry, they brought shooting to the table for the Sixers that needed it to surround Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons because when they have shooters on the court, uh, they're better. They're a better duo. And now, albeit, I think I, I came to the conclusion that Joel Embiid is not going to be the NBA, uh, the NBA's MVP this season, especially. No game he had with just six points in the third um that that really made me think well well i mean there's he there's no time for him to catch up at this point but he is the sixers mvp and i think that this team right now they were struggling a little earlier they struggled against the bucks um then joel Embiid sat out that second game but what i'm looking forward to is the rest management that the sixers get so they are ready to play in the playoffs and I have confidence that they can put these teams up to to Game Seven, the Bucks or the Nets. I have no doubt that they'll be able to make it a competitive game. And I think what's really going to go down to it is how the surrounding cast performs around Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Agreed. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. And I think one of the things that we have to look at going into these stretch of games is the fact that we're getting hot at the right time. I know that we got a scare yeah. the other night against the Spurs, but Ben Simmons obviously having the game winning tip in. Uh, and again, the schedule is key here. And that's, you know, it's something small in a larger scope of, you know, being talented and having the right core pieces. But the schedule is just playing right into the Sixers' favor right now as we go into these final stretch of games. You have the Magic twice to end the season. You still have to play the Pacers, I believe. You also still have to play Houston Rockets. I mean, these are wins that the Philadelphia 76ers 
should be able to check off their boxes. Tobias Harris hasn't really played that superstar type offensive all-star level since the all-star break. But again, it's been a collective effort besides that. Matisse Thibel still playing great defense. And I also have to mention here also, uh, you know, you have Danny Green, who we, who, we, who we mentioned already, but then also Shake Milton uh, coming off the bench. I was harping on him two weeks ago, maybe even last week. And uh, it looks like when he's able to settle in as an off-ball guy because of George Hill, which we kind of expected, he's able to, you know, really come into his own. And, and I feel like the pressure's kind of off his shoulders uh, when he doesn't have to run the show as the second unit. So I think, again, team mentioned in perfect words, well-oiled machine this Philadelphia 76ers team is. I'm getting yeah. kind of excited. I know that the, yeah. the, they've been kind of put on the back burner because the Phillies are kind of in full swing at this point. Uh, people just want to get to, to the playoffs already. We kind of know who the best teams are. And, uh, you know, Sixers haven't really made huge headlines um, because not only because of the weak opponents they're playing, but because they're probably right now in Philadelphia, either second or third most looked at team because of the draft as well. that just happened. So when the playoffs start and to wrap this point up here, Ben Simmons is key. I mean, it really is. When he gets into the playoffs, we can we can say all of our opinions. We can harp on him being a, a terrible shooter, not even willing to shoot the basketball. Everything, all these questions, all these opinions are going to be answered when the playoffs start. Because at the end of the day, wins matter more than production individually. And if Ben Simmons can just produce defensively, give us his defense, give us his rebounding and his passing, he's not going to have to score 15 points per game if the Sixers are going to win in the playoffs, uh, at least until they get to maybe the Eastern Conference Finals or maybe even the Finals if we can get to that point. We have to just win the basketball games. And the fans, again... They can harp on them all he wants, but if they get W's in the playoffs and we make a deep run, I don't think – I mean, if they get to the Eastern Conference Finals and they lose to Brooklyn Nets, which I think everybody you know wouldn't be shocked about, I think people will have to just get off his back a little bit. And if he's able to even knock off the Nets and get us to the Finals, listen, I think people are going to have to give him some credit because uh, he, I don't expect them to – and again, if he doesn't produce, I don't think the Sixers have a shot of even beating the Bucs. Uh, possibly, in the, whether it be the second round or the, or the conference finals, depending on what the Brooklyn Nets do. But Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons, we're going to keep saying it. We're going to yeah. keep saying it until these games start up. What? Yeah, my only concern with this team is for them to hang on to wins. Now, you mentioned that that close game, that OT game um, in uh, San Antonio, and that was a healthy Sixers team against a Spurs team who only had one starter in, and that's concerning. You go into OT and you you nearly you nearly blow it at the end of the game too in OT. If you don't make that, if Ben Simmons doesn't make that tip in, who knows what happens? So for me, and, and then of course the Chicago game, it starts falling apart at the end too. But for me, this team is built exactly how they should be. You're going up against teams eventually like the Brooklyn Nets, who just have stars on stars on what on uh, offense. And this is a Sixers team that's now built around defense uh, because of Doc Rivers. You got Matisse Thibel really showing out on defense. Ben Simmons, who claims to be defensive player of the year. Joel Embiid at center. These guys are impressive and they're important for the team's defense. And I think that they'll be able to compete once again with um, a team that has offensive stars like, like the Nets. I want to move on to the last topic of the show here before we wrap things up and give it to T and get a quick point out of him with this. The, the play-in format with, with the 7 through 10, uh, there's been a lot of controversy around that with, you know, obviously LeBron coming out and saying the whole thing is a piece of crap. It shouldn't even be, uh, you know, in, this, in the general scope of things. That's probably because the Lakers are currently a seven seed in the Western Conference. 
So I'm sure that has something uh, to do with it. But again, you, you also have to look at teams in the Eastern Conference, like the Wizards and the Bulls and teams like that, or they're still fighting and still scrapping. Uh, do you think it's going to be a beneficial thing for the league, or has it been, I guess, up to this point? Or do you think, you know, at the end of the day, the Bulls have no shot in hell of even winning a finals? Why are we adding in more teams? What side of the coin are you on with this? Because let's be honest here, sometimes those seven to eight teams, those seven to eight ranked teams, they can get tired at the end of the season, and that gives an opportunity for those, you know, ninth and tenth ranked teams to kind of sneak up in there. Honestly, I think it's a pretty good idea. Um, I can see from a player standpoint of view why it wouldn't be a good idea because now that's extra games that those guys have to play. But you know what? If it's going to make money, the NBA is going to do it. Same thing as the NFL. The NFL added an additional game, which I said and still feel to this day is completely unnecessary. But if the leagues feel as though it's going to make money, it's going to happen. So these are things that they're going to make money. Just trust me and believe me. It's like you said, those back-end teams, now they have a chance to actually come in and take one of those playoff spots. That's a hell of an opportunity. No matter how far they go, that's still a hell of an opportunity. That's more games for that franchise to play. So... It's, it's going to happen regardless of how we feel about it or not. Yeah, and real quick, the Lakers are actually at the fifth seed now because that went over the the um, the Nuggets, I believe. They're on the right? seesaw, though. And, they're on the seesaw yeah, with those teams. They yeah, go. they're above the Mavs and the um, yeah, and the Trailblazers, just barely. But it, it's it's funny because, and ironic, because last season LeBron was – he wanted this play-in game, and now this season, you know, when his team's on the bubble – uh, he, he doesn't want he doesn't want any parts of the play and claiming the guy who made it up should be fired and all that. Um, It's just classic LeBron. Stuff. <laughs> well, for for me, I, I, I don't know. You look at what Russell Westbrook's doing specifically right now at the Wizards as a 10 seed. I mean, the way that he's playing, I think he had 24 assists uh, last night. He's he's the he's I think he's the first player in NBA history with five 20 plus assist games which is, I mean, super impressive. I mean, whatever you think about Russell Westbrook, whether it be his stats don't matter, he's a stat pattern, he'll never win a ring. But what he's doing on the court as, as his individual talent is I super agree. impressive. Um, and I think with a team like that getting hot at the right time, obviously Bradley Beal has just been a constant, you know, a constant stud in their lineup and their starting five throughout the entire season. Here's the crazy part yeah. real quick about Russell Westbrook. Like I seen a stat today that said that he can average zero points, zero assists and zero rebounds for the rest of this season and still average a triple double. That's crazy. That's crazy talented, man. I don't yeah, care what people, y'all say. About and again, they, uh, there's a lot of arguments about he doesn't make the people around him better. I know he hasn't won much, but I feel like when he's gotten to certain points in his career in the playoffs, you look at some of the teams that he's run into. He's run into that that dynasty of the Warriors back when he was with the Thunder, uh, you know, a couple of seasons ago. Then last year with the Rockets, you know, he runs into the Lakers in the bubble. Who going? I mean, they just he's run into championship teams. He's gotten to the point where he should be. Or I know about, he hasn't overachieved, but not too many teams really did overachieve against the Warriors or, or, or the Lakers. Or how about early in his career with him and Kevin Durant? and James Harden when they ran into that dynasty down in Miami Heat when yeah. it was Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, and LeBron James. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I think with their, them being the 10th seed, I think it'll, it'll create some sort of interest, even in the Western Conference, too. You have to look at you know maybe a possible you know Mavericks, Warriors, and other teams down there. I know the Kings are probably out of it at this point, but there's, there's, some, there's some good matchups to be had possibly in the playing game. I know it's probably what the players don't want to see if you're LeBron, but if you're a team that, you know, has played the full season uh, and you're the 10th seed and you get a shot to maybe make the top seven or eight, 
of course, the the teams are going to want to want to see it. And again, it's all about making money at the end of the day. Uh, so, so I'm looking forward. To it. I think it'll be pretty exciting. I, I I don't know what it is with the Wizards. I think they're they're a pretty interesting team uh, because of the fact that they dealt with some injuries this season. And Russell Westbrook and uh, Bradley Beal, it's a it's a really uh, impressive duo in the backcourt. So, w- with right. that note, we'll shut it down. But but I'm looking forward to the end of the NBA regular season. All on right. All right, guys, you guys missing any of this episode, you can always go to philly-experience.simplecast.com, available on all major downloadable platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. I will be doing a draft breakdown of every single draft pick that the Philadelphia Eagles have made. I'm still working on them. They will be coming to you soon. Hey, I may even release the first video tomorrow. You never know. You just never know. So I'm going to need y'all to hit that follow button and stay tuned. And I'm just saying, you know, it doesn't hurt. Oh, by the way, I know we ain't getting to Phillies. Roman Quinn actually got some hits. I'm amazed. There you go. I don't know about you What's guys. in the water in Philadelphia? Today, uh, I, I have no idea, but whatever he's sipping, he needs to continue sipping it. That's all I know. Crap ass Vargas. You dumbass. Do we know it's hard? Get off the box. Because that guy doesn't know what the hell he's doing. You make me sick. (laughs) We're good. All right.